Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of our Beyond the Known podcast, we are joined by Brian Sonderman. Brian is the executive director of Milwaukee Habitat for Humanity. Under his leadership, Milwaukee Habitat has earned Habitat for Humanity International's Affiliate of Distinction designation, the BizTimes Large Nonprofit of the Year Award, and they've been recognized nationally for its revitalization initiative in some of Milwaukee's most distressed neighborhoods. Brian, thank you for joining us here today. Absolutely. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it. That is uh, quite a laundry list of accomplishments. Bravo to you, sir. Well, it's a credit to our organization, Habitat has an incredible brand and a compelling mission, and I'm privileged to be the executive director and serve in that capacity. You're a very talented guy. You've done amazing things, you and your team at Milwaukee Habitat for Humanity. I have to ask, to get us started here, of all the nonprofits in the community, why this one? Well, Milwaukee Habitat's mission to me was what really drew me to the organization. We say that we want to put God's love into action by bringing people together to build homes, communities, and hope. It was that aspect of putting God's love into action that really drew me into Habitat. Because I had, unlike yourself, not a lot of experience on Habitat build sites prior to interviewing for this role. But I knew their mission. I had respect for the organization. And as I got to know what the organization was about, I felt like it was a perfect fit for what God was really directing me in at that point in my career, that I could take my previous experience in business and in ministry and bring those together and help lead the organization to fulfill its mission to serve folks in the Milwaukee area who are in desperate need for affordable shelter. And you may have just alluded to this a little bit in your response there, but I know you have a what you call a heaven on earth mantra. Can you elaborate <laughs> on that a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, when I think about Habitat, I really think about the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, he asked that God's uh, kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's not only a prayer for disciples, followers of Jesus to pray, it's also for us to live out in our daily lives, to make that reality in this world. And I think it's exciting because God invites us to be a part of that to make the values of heaven be the values down here on earth. And I know one thing for sure. I don't, you know, there's a lot of things about heaven that I don't know, but the one thing that I do know is there's no affordable housing crisis in heaven. And so my desire is to see that that, those values and that vision of a place where everyone, every man, woman, boy, and girl in Milwaukee County has a decent place and an affordable place to call home is part of how I live out that prayer each and every day. And in just listening to you talk, it's self-evident that you're a, a spiritual person. You've got a, a solid relationship with God. Your, your background, you weren't necessarily aspiring for nonprofit executive leadership, not a tremendously rich background in nonprofit fundraising per se. Basically, I, I don't think you, you ever set out to do what you're doing now. In fact, you were a, a pastor for 12 years. Can, can, can you kind of talk about maybe how your time as a pastor has equipped you to run the organization that you currently do? Yeah, well, I'll even step 
you know, back before becoming a, a full-time pastor, I served as a CPA and in banking. And the combination, I think, of those two aspects of my career really came together in this role. Um, I think the, my role as a pastor has helped me to, I think, develop skills in shepherding people, in caring for people, in leading with a sense of vision, and, and really being mission-centered. And that's very true of Habitat. I don't have to you know, get up often and remind people of the mission because it's very evident. And our staff and our volunteers and our supporters embrace that mission. And in many ways, they remind me every day of that mission. So it's a really incredible place to go to work every day and to serve. And it's a completely fulfilling role that I find myself in right now. And I I feel incredibly blessed. And just because we at Beyond the Known are interested in getting to know the why, we're interested in the stories that people have to share. And I think you and I need a little bit more time to go through all the amazing stories you have uh, with respect to what you do and how you've got here. Can you at least just shed some light on how you went from a CPA slash banker to a pastor? What was that like for you, that transition? Well, it was pretty seamless. I actually worked for a bank that knew I wanted to be a pastor. And they said, that's great. We'll allow you to go down to halftime while you're going to seminary because we value what you do here. And we, even though we, don't, we know that you're not going to be with us for very long, we know that the time you'll be here will be impactful. And, you know, as I look back, I, I think I don't, you know, I, I couldn't have asked for a better opportunity. So the opportunity for me has always been to serve in ministry as a pastor was to help people connect their faith and work. That was always a driving force in my life is to be able to help people to connect what they do every day to their relationship with God. Because I don't think a lot of people experience that in a day, out, day in and day out basis. So a lot of my ministry was geared around that, that aspect. And now as I move into the role at Habitat, it's still something that I'm able to communicate and talk about because we are an organization that has a Christian foundation. Uh, we're open to people of all faiths or no faith at all. As long as people agree to the, the overarching goal of helping people to find affordable shelter, we invite them onto the build site. But it does provide an opportunity for me to talk about connecting what they do on a build site or at our restores or in our office to their faith. You had mentioned earlier the affordable housing crisis in Milwaukee. Just how bad is it? Well, it's really staggering. In the city of Milwaukee right now, one out of three Milwaukee renters spends more than 50% of their monthly income on housing. One out of three. Those are our neighbors. Those are our children, our grandchildren. When you have one out of three people, especially those who are low to moderate income, meaning below the average income here in the city of Milwaukee or Milwaukee County, those individuals oftentimes are spending 60, 70, even 80% of their monthly income on housing. And that means that there's very little left over for any of the other necessities in life. Where do you find the leftover money at the end of the day after you've paid the landlord for healthy food for your kids, to be able to save for retirement, to be able to provide for your children or grandchildren? You know, those types of things are just set aside. 
And because shelter is a necessity, you can't live without it. And that means it really is a crisis when you have that number of people in our community that are in that place. It means they can't get ahead. They, they have an, a really difficult time kind of making that next major move in their life. So we talk about staggering numbers, and this was one that really jumped out at me. I know that over the next four years, Milwaukee Habitat will build, rehab, and repair 250 homes with families in need of that safe, affordable housing that you were talking about. That's a lot of homes over the course of four years, which one, I want to congratulate you for. It looks like your organization is really making a substantial difference in the community. But I also wanted some clarity. What do you mean by the difference between rehab and repair? Sure. When we do a rehab, it is a full rehab of the home to make it into a new affordable home for a family. A critical home repair is where we work with an existing homeowner is low to moderate income, oftentimes on a fixed income, and provide a critical repair to their home so that they can stay safely and affordably in their home long term. So it's really the difference between providing affordable homes and preserving affordable homes. How many volunteers do you have? How many people are associated with your organization right now? Well, we have about 45 staff, full-time staff, um, eight AmeriCorps members that serve for a 10-month period of time, and then probably three to 4,000 volunteers any given year. Uh, these are volunteers who may come out one time a year, and we have hundreds of volunteers who come out multiple times a month. We call those volunteers habituals, affectionately at Habitat. And we could not do what we do without those one-time volunteers and those habituals because they supplement this staff that we have to be able to serve that number of people every year. You've got some truly amazing quality volunteers. These guys are on fire for your mission. They are very, very passionate. Where do you go about finding some of these incredibly determined and driven volunteers? Well, the base of our volunteers who come out and serve regularly, a great percentage of them come out of local churches. Somewhere along the line, their local church got engaged with Habitat. Maybe it was just a one-time build that they had, and some of those volunteers that day got inspired, got interested. I think for a lot of men and women who come and work on our construction site in particular, they're oftentimes people who they didn't find their place serving in the four walls of a church. Maybe they didn't feel equipped to teach Sunday school. They didn't want to work in the nursery, and they didn't have a great voice to sing in the choir. But when they got a hammer in their hands, they're like Mother Teresa. And in that way, they find their spot, and it's a sweet spot for them to serve. And it really is fueled by their faith, and they connect to the mission. Now, that's not true for everybody. There are many, many people who come to us because they want to learn skills themselves because they want to do do-it-yourself projects at home. And they thought, you know what, I'll try it out on the Habitat Build site. I'll learn skills there, and then I'll bring it back home. And they do bring it back home, but what they still they find is that the community that they develop on the build site is something very, very special to them. They build lifelong friendships. They get to meet future Habitat homeowners. And those types of relationships are so special to them that while they learn the skills to do at home, they continue to come out and serve faithfully on the Habitat Build sites. That's pretty powerful stuff. Let's focus for a little bit on the individuals that benefit 
from the services that you provide. What types of circumstances are these recipients facing when they come to Habitat for Humanity for help? Well, I think about two women in particular just in the last year. They really are indicative. Their stories are repeated often at Habitat. I think about Natasha, who came to us, and she was someone who grew up in what are known as the projects. um, The housing authority provides low-rent units for low-to-moderate-income families, and they were in disrepair. Natasha's family, she had never had anyone in her immediate family who had graduated from high school. She went on to graduate from high school. She went on to get a college degree. That was unheard of in her family. So she accomplished all these first. She had three children, and she had another dream. She, her dream was to become a homeowner. And once again, she said, you know what? I'm not going to allow anyone to tell me that I can't do something. So she became the first person in her family to become a homeowner. People of incredible self-determination, goal-oriented, hardworking, the thing that limits them in many regards is purely their income level. That right now, because of that affordable housing crisis that we're in, in terms of rentals being so high in this market, it makes families like Natasha's so difficult for her to get into a, a home affordably. And then she partnered with Habitat. She did her sweat equity, which involves financial education, but also hundreds of hours helping to build her own new home. And as she went through that process, uh, she continued to work hard and and provide an incredible example for her three children. And then I think about Robin, another mom of of three. Robin's situation was that she was in a cramped two-bedroom apartment with her grandmother, with her three kids. So the five of them in a two-bedroom apartment was too small. It was in disrepair and the rent just kept getting going up and up and up. And Robin came to us and applied over three years. She got turned down two times because when you apply to become a Habitat homeowner, we want to make sure that you're ready to become a successful homeowner. It's why we have such an incredible track record over 35 plus years of seeing people successfully move into these homes and stay in the homes and be able to afford a mortgage over the long haul and pay it off. And so Robin was turned down twice. She was declined by Habitat twice, but it didn't stop her. So she came back a third time after she had worked through some credit issues and gotten her financial house in order so that she could be successful. And now she's in her Habitat house. And so I think about those two women, and I don't think it's just about what they've accomplished for themselves, because rarely do I go to a dedication when we bless the house and we hand over the keys to the future Habitat homeowner. And there are lots of lots of tears, oftentimes my own tears. And I see the children of the Habitat homeowners, mom and dad, and they look up at their parents with these eyes of pride and joy because they are seeing their parents do something for them. It's a gift that they're giving to their children. It's why they went through and did all of that sweat equity. It's why they helped build that house. It's so often it's for their children. It's the next generation. And those two women are just indicative and incredible examples. But, you know, those stories are repeated week in and week out as we celebrate now in this time of the season, a lot of new Habitat homeowners moving into their homes for the very first time. 
That's one of the things that I really do admire about your organization. You're not just building homes and giving them away. Mm-hmm. You're inviting these new future homeowners to be a part of the process. And, and I have found myself in the various professional roles I've been in, drop the term sweat equity. That is a very, very powerful thing. And can you talk about how that enhances the process and how that makes this a more worthwhile endeavor than if you did not have that belief? Yeah, it's a principle that's been true of Habitat since its very founding. This concept that you don't give something away. Uh, Habitat doesn't believe in giving handouts. It gives a hand up to someone. And the hand up is a two-way street. It's a partnership in which Habitat's providing an opportunity, but a homeowner, a future homeowner is saying, I want to be a part of this and I'm going to invest hundreds of hours in becoming a successful homeowner. You know, to provide, to prepare themselves in terms of financial education, we provide over 35 hours of financial education to our future home buyers. And then leadership development training, because we want our homeowners to be leaders on their blocks. And then ultimately, the skills to help you know, care for their home long-term. And they learn how to use tools, to how to, to hang drywall, how to paint, how to frame a house. They grow in those skills. And I think all of that combined helps them to be successful over the long haul. It's a tremendous accomplishment to become a Habitat homeowner. I often tell my wife, I don't know if I could do it. Because most of the time, these are single moms and single dads, not always. But they oftentimes have children, so they're, they have one or more jobs, they're caring for children, and then they're doing hundreds of hours of sweat equity. It's an amazing accomplishment, and it is one of the reasons why our foreclosure rate is as low as it is, because I have had so many conversations over the last 10 years with homeowners who are maybe struggling, maybe got downsized, you know, had their hours cut at work. And they've said, you know, it's, it's a struggle right now, Brian, to pay back our mortgage. And uh, we work out payment plans. We really work with our home buyers when they're in difficult situations. But the, the common refrain I often hear from our homeowners who are in difficult places is, I work too hard for this home. I don't want to lose it. I mean, and they are so committed to it. And I think that sweat equity is, it's the secret sauce of Habitat. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. And I would certainly agree with the secret sauce comment. How does a family qualify for help, and do you currently have a waiting list for assistance? Yeah, we have about 1,300 families that come to us every year without any marketing. Almost all come through referrals from other Habitat homeowners who invite and refer their family and friends and coworkers. We are at various stages working with those 1,300 families. Now, we can't serve that number of families right now. The funding capacity isn't sufficient to, to serve all those families nor are all of those families ready to be successful home buyers because like Robin's example that I shared earlier, there are certain things that they have to work through to deal with maybe a judgment or a collection or a debt so that they can become ready to be a, a successful homeowner. So we're working with those families and as they become accepted into our program, they get assigned to a particular project and then begin the sweat equity process. And so it's sort of a rolling application, rolling assignment onto a Habitat Builds. And, you know, the way it, God just works it out that he draws the right people and the right funders and the right particular projects to fit. And I wish I could say that it's, you know, my leadership as much as it is an amazing sort of jigsaw puzzle that happens that I know God's a part of. 
One of the things that I've noticed about our conversation up to this point, Brian, is everything we're talking about is pre-home. We're talking about finding the families. We're talking about getting their credit scores in order. We're talking about the sweat equity, the building process, all that stuff. What happens after the home is built? What happens after the family moves in? What is the relationship then with those families and your organization? Yeah, absolutely. About six, seven years ago, we shifted our strategy from working simultaneously in multiple neighborhoods to really focusing our efforts on one neighborhood at a time, one block at a time. And we did that intentionally because we wanted to cluster homes together. We wanted there to be a lot of concentration of Habitat homes and Habitat homeowners so that they could build a community and together collectively, they could serve as leaders in their neighborhood so that it wouldn't just change the trajectory of one family at a time as they move into that home and find affordable shelter, but also collectively, as they work together, they could revitalize a neighborhood. And so our efforts post-purchase are really to help support and provide the resources that those home buyers and that neighborhood needs to be revitalized. It's really taking a support role, though, a servant role. We are not leading that effort. That is a resident-led effort because every neighborhood is different. The needs are slightly different, but the ultimate goal of neighborhoods in the most distressed areas of Milwaukee are very similar to the suburbs of Milwaukee. People want safe place for their kids to grow up and be able to play in the front yard. They want safe schools and good schools. They want green spaces to be able to have their kids play in the park. They want to be able to get to know their neighbors. And that's true of the Lake Country as much as it is in the Midtown neighborhood in Milwaukee. And so what we're doing is really providing some support, some staffing to help those efforts that are really resident-led. So sometimes it's connecting residents, Habitat homeowners and other residents of a neighborhood with the police department. Safety is often a big issue in neighborhoods. And so Habitat's role is really to provide a, a connection point where there's often mistrust between police and residents in the city of Milwaukee. And that has a long history. But one of the things that Habitat can do is we have a trusted relationship with residents because of our history. And we have a trusted relationship with the police because the police value the work that Habitat does in stabilizing neighborhoods. And so one of the things that we can do is we can provide and help facilitate relationship building. And we've seen some amazing things happen in neighborhoods. As homeownership increases and as the relationship between police and residents is built up, crime goes down. It goes down substantially. It goes down not just in the areas where we've built, but it spills over. It has a positive ripple effect throughout a neighborhood as it changes social norms. It builds relationships. And, and that's the kind of stuff when I started with Habitat, I didn't know if we could ever do. <laughs> I thought we would help individual families. But we had a, an idea, and we had to test it out. And that was, could we change a neighborhood over time? And what we can say now, statistically, is yes. Homeownership is a catalyst for neighborhood revitalization. And it's something we've been able to share then with other habitats around the country. As a former professional fundraiser myself, I know just how difficult it can be to raise unrestricted funds, restricted funds, 
secure volunteers, mobilize your stakeholders in that regard. I understand your need for monetary donations. That's a given. And I would encourage anybody listening to this podcast, if you feel moved, if you feel that this is a worthwhile mission, perhaps that's something that you can invest in. But beyond monetary donations, Brian, how can our listeners get involved? Well, I'll I'll mention two things. One is you can go to milwaukeehabitat.org, our website, and you can sign up to volunteer. You can volunteer on our build site or at one of our restores. We've got three restores that are sort of discount Home Depots, and you can find furnishings, furniture, home decor, and things like that. We need those three to 4,000 volunteers every year to uh, really run the operation and serve the number of families that we do. And so if you just have it on your bucket list, and there are a lot of people that tell me, one day I want to volunteer, I want to come out on the construction site with Habitat, Uh, we would love to have you because we believe we will give you a great experience. You will learn about the work that we're doing. You will meet some incredible people, some future Habitat homeowners. It will be transformative. Almost, I can almost guarantee that because, you know, not everybody has that experience, but a lot of people do. And when you have that, I believe you'll come back. So that's one way that you can help Habitat to serve more families. The other piece is to consider donating furniture, appliances to our restores. Um, We have an ability to do uh, pickups at home. So if you have gently used furniture appliances, we take those, we sell those to the general public, and then ultimately those funds come back to the organization to serve families. Uh, We also have a deconstruction program where if you're doing a remodel of your kitchen or bathroom, our team of uh, skilled volunteers can come in and deconstruct in a half a day, save you and the contractor money on disposal, and we take that um, oftentimes fixtures and other items in from a kitchen or bathroom and be able to resell those. So an easy way of helping serve the mission. I will echo what you said there, Brian, about time on the job site, the construction site being transformative. It was a, a truly amazing experience, and I would recommend all of our listeners to at least explore that. We're also joined in the studio today by my associate and colleague, Nick Starr. Nick is the Director of Agency Advancement here at the Star Group, as well as one of our commercial insurance architects. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for the introduction, Paul. And uh, Brian, thank you again for accepting our invitation. We, we love having you in the studio here. And I've had the pleasure of, of getting to know you and your team through the work that we've done with Habitat. And I have to agree that you guys have an amazing team in place, which is reflecting all the amazing work that you guys are doing in the community to date. I wanted to just touch on it and give you an opportunity. I know that you, that, that Milwaukee Habitat for Humanity does very large gala every year in an attempt to, to raise money for obviously a great organization. I know that's coming up later this year. So if you just want to touch and, and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we have, uh, it's called Framing the, the Future and we hold it at our headquarters, our warehouse. And so where we do a lot of the pre-building for the, the upcoming build season, we clear out space and we are able to host over 400 guests it's on Thursday, October 8th this year, and uh, you can both individuals and tables can be purchased by going to milwaukeehabitat.org. We would love to invite people to come out. For the very first time, it's oftentimes the, the place where a number of our guests learn more about what Habitat does. They have this concept of kind of what Habitat is, and most people, it's a great brand. I mean, it's, it's got a very strong brand, 
and people like it, they, they kind of appreciate it, but they don't know a lot of the details. And, and that can be a, a great first taste, if you will, of what we do. And, and if you're so inspired, we would love to have folks be able to, to participate. And the goal this year is to raise $400,000 that night. So uh, it's grown substantially over the last three, four years to become a significant event in the Milwaukee area. Absolutely. And I, uh, having attended some of these events in the past, I know that they're, they're typically pretty entertaining nights as well. Great opportunity to meet the people behind Milwaukee Habitat, but other influential uh, individuals in the community. So I would encourage as many people as possible to attend if they're able. I did also want to touch on, I know that, that Habitat for Humanity does some international work as well. If you just want to touch on that, that would be great. Yeah, you know, so we have a great focus here in Milwaukee, but we are a global organization. And Milwaukee Habitat is committed to reaching and serving families around the world who are in need of affordable shelter. The crisis that exists here in Milwaukee is just multiplied many times over globally. So we have partnerships with Habitat organizations in three countries, Zambia, Thailand, and El Salvador. And each year we send volunteers to those countries so that they can have that experience and serve alongside and meet uh, people in those countries and, and really help build homes. But also we take 10 cents out of every dollar that is donated to Milwaukee Habitat and we gift that globally. So it's a hive that we give to those organizations so that they can fulfill their mission. And it's a great part of the reason why I'm a part of the organization. I love that both local and global component to what we do. And again, it's just another aspect to Habitat that not a lot of people know about. But you know what? If, if folks are interested in international travel and uh, seeing parts of the world, maybe the, the less traveled areas, it's a great opportunity to join with us. We send teams out each and every year. And so you can sign up and participate in that and enjoy that experience as well. Wow. Yeah. What an amazing experience that Milwaukee Habitat offers for those that are interested in traveling or, or may not have had much experience in traveling in the past. So I did also want to just reiterate the Restore. Uh, as a fellow downtowner, it's, it's great having right around the corner. I encourage people to utilize Restore. A lot of people don't realize that they're available exactly what they are, but we've actually used them via our condo association. Uh, people have this tendency to leave junk in our, and I'm sorry, I should rephrase that, not junk, but gently used, gently like used to say, furniture Nick. or prior cabinets, ceiling fans, etc. in our uh, trash area that Milwaukee doesn't pick up. These are really nice items that, especially for hobbyists, can restore and utilize. So we've actually used the, the pickup service multiple times to come pick this stuff up, repurpose it, and use it for a, a better cause rather than filling uh, trash cans and, and dumpsters. So what's the best thing you've ever purchased from Restore? Well, recently we got a, a bed for us, my son. We were searching for one and we actually got, we've gotten pillows of all places. We've gotten new pillows that uh, you could go to Kohl's and you could spend $35 at the Restore, you get that same pillow for $15. I can put you in a pillow today, Nick. <laughs> I'm in, right. sold. Yeah, and there is, there's one location, downtown Milwaukee. There's one in Wauwatosa, and then the third one is in... It's on a Highway 100 in Greenfield. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate, again, you coming in and, and talking and, and spending some time with us. And again, amazing mission, amazing cause. We're, we're excited to be on the, uh, on the front line with you. All right, thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks, Paul.
So on behalf of everybody here at the Star Group and our Beyond the Gnome podcast, we want to thank Brian Sonderman, Executive Director of Milwaukee Habitat for Humanity, for stopping by and sharing his expertise with us. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.